Welcome to Sunday Morning. I'm Claire Bidwell-Smith, a therapist specializing in grief and the author of three books about grief and loss. Today, I'm going to answer some questions about grief that I've been receiving. I think it's always really healing to hear about other people who are going through their own process and their own stories and their own loss. I think it really can help you realize that you're not alone in your own experience and your own feelings. Grief can make you feel like you're going crazy and you can question whether or not you're doing it right or um, if you are the only one who's experienced one facet of it or another. And I think hearing about other people's stories can always, you know, help you feel a little less alone, but also just help you feel like you're not going crazy. So I guarantee that if you're listening right now, you'll recognize yourself in some of these same questions. The first one reads, Dear Claire, my dad died six months ago and my brother and I are coping with it so differently. My brother says he misses him just as much as I do, but he doesn't seem to feel it as intensely. My brother's busy starting a family with his new wife, and I'm single and living on the other side of the country. I feel like I'm the only one taking care of our mom and the only one trying to honor our dad. I can't help feeling mad at my brother. Please tell me what to do. Wow, this is... This is such a common situation to have in that when we lose a family member, the unit, um, one person is gone from that unit. This one sounds like a foursome, like a brother and a sister and two parents, and now one of those people is gone. Everyone has a different reaction to it. Everyone has a different grief response to it, and it affects each of their lives, their lives differently. And I have never not seen there be heated tension, resentment, um, People really, like family members, really kind of judging each other's grief processes. It's really normal to have this happen, Um, especially when it's a sibling-parent situation. So when we lose a parent, the other parent is left, and the siblings often become quite concerned about how that parent is doing. The parent is usually, the remaining parent is usually, you know, really going through a huge process of their own and reeling from it. And while their adult children are coping with their own grief, they also feel a great responsibility to be caretaking their parent. But how that looks for each of the siblings is always different. So where one sibling might feel like they need to be there all the time taking care of the mom, um, another sibling might feel like they don't need to be and that mom's going to be fine and she will do her thing. And then the two siblings start to you know, feel resentment or just different feelings between each other. It's so normal to have this happen. Um, I always think of it like a table and it has four legs and one of the legs has been taken away and all of the, like the table is just wobbling right now and all of the legs kind of have to shift around into new positions and new roles with each other in order to make the table stand up again. But that is like a whole transition process that usually takes some time. So for my person who wrote, I I think it's really okay that you feel angry at your brother. Um, it's normal. Um, it's not useful necessarily you know I think that what you could do is I think it's great that you're reaching out here that you're thinking about it that you're acknowledging it I think you should write him a letter maybe talk to him about it I always love to when I'm feeling any kind of tension or when my clients are experiencing tension with another person I love to have them write a letter that they don't necessarily send so write the letter that has all the things you want to say in it, even the mad, ugly things. Write that letter just so you can get it out of your system. Then sleep on it for a couple of days, then reevaluate it and see which parts of the letter might actually be helpful to send. Um, 
but also know that it really, it's going to be different. You and your brother are going to have really different experiences of, of this loss. I'm sure you had different relationships with your dad and you have different relationships with your mother and you have different relationships with each other. Um, working on your own grief process and feeling okay about your grief process and the work you're doing and how you're responding to it is all that matters. You can't make your brother respond one way or have more intense feelings or you know, do the same kinds of things that you feel you're doing to honor your dad. So I think if you just kind of release him to his own world and his own process and really just concentrate on yours and doing the best you can do for yourself and your mother and honoring your father, that will give you some peace. But often that takes kind of, you know, doing some release work, really letting go of the expectations you have for your brother. You guys will come back around to it at one point. This is a period of equilibrium again. You guys, the table leg has been taken away and you're really trying to find your new positions and places with all of this. And it will happen. I remember, um, I think one of the hard things about this kind of loss too, I remember when I was leading grief groups in Chicago in hospice. And I had this kind of wide open group that anyone could join because it was a small hospice and we were just starting up. So I hadn't broken into specific groups that were just loss of spouse or just loss of a parent or just loss of a child. Anyone was in this group. They could have been going through any of those losses. And what was really interesting to me was that I had several adults who had recently lost a parent, and then I had several adults who had lost a spouse and who had grown children. And what they began to see within each other, the crossover there was really remarkable. The people who had lost a spouse recently really turned out they had really little awareness of what their grown children were going through. They assumed that their grown children with their husbands or wives or children, small children and school and their busy lives were like doing much easier, having a much easier time with their grief because they had such full lives. Where these people who were in their 60s, 70s, who had just lost a spouse really felt much they felt that their experience of grief was much harder. So getting to sit here and listen to each other across the room had this had this really incredible effect of them being able to see inside each other's grief processes and really recognize that we really can't understand what everyone is going through. And sometimes we put an idea on other people about what their grief process should look like as opposed to ours when we're grieving the same loss. So really just developing a lot of compassion. Um, your brother may be holding his grief in a really deep place that you don't even quite understand or know about, and he's not ready to talk about it. Maybe he's putting on a brave front, um, and maybe you're feeling much more open about your process. Again, letting him have his own time and space. I really think you guys will come back to it at some point once the, once the whole room equalizes. But I wish you luck. I totally relate and understand Okay, so this next letter says, Dear Claire, I was recently diagnosed with stage 4 lung cancer, and I have a 12-year-old daughter who I'm desperately sad to leave behind. I'm wondering what I can put, what I can put in place for her before I go. Oh, this is such a hard one. Um, I think about this for myself all the time, you know, that I may someday have to do this, say goodbye to my own daughters. I think about when my mother had to go through this with me. Um, I've had a lot of clients come to me in this position, so I have a lot of thoughts on it. Um, I know that it can be really anxiety-provoking to think about leaving behind, you know, a a child who hasn't left the house yet, who hasn't become an adult yet. Um, 
there's a lot of really amazing things you can do to put in place before you go. Um, you could write your daughter a series of letters that she could read at different ages. You know, write a letter to her when she turns 12 or when she turns 16, when she turns 18. And when you write those letters, tell her a little bit about yourself at those ages. I know that for me, I'm constantly wondering what my mother was like, you know, what, what, was, what was early motherhood like for my mom? What was turning 40 like for my mom? What was, you know, getting married like for my mom? So telling her things like that about yourself, about what you hope and wish for her, about what you see about her already, about her strengths and, you know, ways she can, um, like I think about the vulnerabilities I already see in my daughter and ways that I... I hope that they can recognize them at some point and use them um, in good ways. So there's so much you can write that she can read later down the road that I think would be so cathartic for her. Um, you could give her a, a list of symbols to look out for that will serve as signs from you. I have a friend who asked her dad, you know, for a symbol, um, and I think he told her, like, every time you feel a little breeze, think of me. and. And, you know, even if you don't believe in that stuff, my friend, she every time she feels a little breeze, she, she does. She thinks of her dad, and it makes her happy. Um, so thinking of things like that that you could write down. Um, telling her your thoughts about what you think happens in the afterlife, I think that that is a really interesting one. I never had that conversation with my own mother, and I really often wonder, like, what did she think about what happens when we die? Did she believe that there was a place she would go to? Did she believe in heaven? Did she believe in any kind of afterlife? I'm so curious where she thought she would go, um, and I didn't get to have that conversation with her. Um, you can ask friends to look in on her for years to come. You can ha give them give different friends specific tasks, like ask one friend to take her to Paris at 16, ask another friend to send her a card every Valentine's Day. Um, ask one friend to make sure she helps pick out her prom dress or something like that. Um, that was something that my mom definitely did not put in place with with me before she died. And I kind of looked to her friends for that after she was gone, but they didn't really step into it. I have only one friend of my mom's who has really showed up for the last 20 years and always thinks of me and remembers to send me a card on my birthday and tells me stories about my mom, and that's been really meaningful to me. Um, you could ask your friends to compile a book of all their favorite memories of you uh, that your daughter can read through. I think that I would love to have that of my own mom. This makes me teary to think about. Um, I would love to hear little stories and anecdotes about what other people thought of her. I would talk to your daughter's father about making sure that she's really supported in her grief process. Often the, um, the remaining parent is really overwhelmed and isn't quite sure what to do. They're overwhelmed with their own grief and all the tasks at hand. So talking with your father's daughter about all the grief support that is out there, um, there's so many. There's a lot of children's grief camps. There's motherless daughters support networks. Um, there's great grief therapists. So putting something in place for her um, through her dad like that will help ensure that she's able to process her grief in a really healthy way. I would get some help for yourself. Seek out spiritual counsel of some sort so that you can work on becoming peaceful. Um, I know that there's a couple of people in Los Angeles who help with a lot of this stuff. Uh, 
there is um, there's an amazing death doula named Elua Arthur here in Los Angeles, and she helps people prepare spiritually and physically and financially for death. Um, there's a woman named Amy Pickard who's incredible. She runs a company called Good to Go, and she helps you get all kinds of affairs in order, not just technical and financial things, but spiritual, writing letters, all those kinds of things. Um, Mostly, you know, just go easy on yourself, surround yourself with love, and know that you are not alone and that there's so many people here to support you. I'm sure that you have a full life of people that love you and want to do anything. Ask for help. People want to be able to help. People want to do things. And lastly, know that, um, you know, I lost my mom. I know a lot of women who lost their mothers at you know, from ages from birth on. And it's incredibly painful, but it's also shaped all of us into really incredible women. Um, very independent, very compassionate, um, very intuitive kinds of women. So I know that you're afraid for your daughter, but she will get through it and she will always have memories of you. And your love for her will never, ever die. Okay, this next letter reads, Dear Claire, my mother died when I was six years old, and my father remarried later that year. He asked me to call this new woman mom, and because I was so young and didn't know any better, I did and always have. But now that I'm in my 30s with kids of my own, I realize that we only get one mom, and I don't feel comfortable calling my stepmom mom anymore, but I don't want to hurt her feelings. Um, this is such an interesting one. I work predominantly with women who've lost their mothers and I see these kinds of things a lot. I hear a lot of stories about um, what happens after a mom dies and there's a lot of stories about fathers who remarry quite quickly. Some stories are amazing. They um, have a wonderful new stepmother and a great new relationship and feel really supported. They always miss their own mom but they have um, they do have you know really wonderful relationships with stepmoms. Um, and this one sounds like it's a good relationship, but you don't want to call her mom anymore. Um, and that makes sense, you know? You do only have one mom. In this case, um, I would have a conversation with her, you know? I would talk to her about that. I would tell her about the realizations you're coming to and how you want to honor your mom and also honor your relationship with her. Maybe there's a new name you could come up with for her, like maybe not necessarily her formal first name, but like a new kind of nickname. Um, I would start out by stopping calling her mom in, in your general life, like if you're talking about her to a friend or um, in a business setting and not referring to her as your mom, but maybe referring to her as your stepmom and just kind of seeing how that feels psychically and physically. Um, I would also do some work around talking to your mom, like really thinking about your mom and calling her mom in your head, in your heart, in a letter perhaps. Um, and really kind of opening up to that, really going through that shift. I think it's really hard when we're little and we haven't quite, you know, we don't have the cognitive capabilities to understand making a decision like that, calling a new woman mom, um, and all the deep psychological ramifications that come with that. So now you're kind of doing some reversal work. But that doesn't mean you can't do it in a really compassionate way, compassionate with yourself and also compassionate with your stepmom and your father and your mother who's not here. So... 
first first and foremost, I would have a conversation with your stepmom, and hopefully she'll be understanding. If she's not, it still doesn't mean that you have to stick with it. This sounds like something that's coming up from deep within you, and it's a way of honoring your own mom and letting her back in in an important way. Um, so I would really do that, and by doing that, I think that you will find a lot of healing. Okay, let's see. Here's another letter. Dear Claire, I lost my brother to a drug overdose several years ago when I was 22 and he was 25. He'd had mental and emotional problems my whole life and always commanded the attention of our parents. I always felt like I was in the shadows and just tried to be the perfect daughter so as not to cause my parents any stress. I'm so scared to even write this, but now that he's gone, I actually have even more resentment towards him. My parents are so sad and so consumed with guilt that he's all they think about. For once, I just want to matter to them. Also, I don't know what to do with all this anger I have towards my brother. I do actually miss him and wish I could let myself grieve, but I'm too angry. Am I a terrible person for feeling this way? No, you are so, so not a terrible person for feeling this way. Not at all. You're a human being. This is so normal. You want love. You want your parents' love. You want your brother's love. And you want your own self-love. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, I think that's all any of us really want is love and acceptance and to be seen. And it sounds like right now your parents aren't really seeing you. And maybe they haven't for a long time because your brother was taking up a lot of space then and now even more. Um, this is a tough one. This goes back to that first question, you know, losing a family member again in a unit of four and how everything starts to rearrange. I'm sure that your parents are feeling so much of their own grief process and are really consumed with it. And that can feel really lonely for you. And like I mentioned about that hospice group, I would guess that your parents are probably assuming that you're fine, that you're young and you've got this whole life ahead of you and that you're going to be fine. And they are really looking back at their whole experience of parenting and probably having a lot of questions and doubts and sadness and guilt. And they're assuming that you're fine. So one of the things I would really do is let your parents in on your experience. Um, you said here that you always tried to be the perfect one. I think letting your parents into your experience would be really healing for you um, and for them too. Um, it's going to take time. You know, they're going to have to go through a huge grief process, as are you. So that would be my first step for you is that I would try to let your parents into your experience, whether you write them a letter or you sit them down and talk with them about it. Following that, the work that you need to do around your own grief around your brother's loss is big. Um, and it has layers. I'm sure your anger is so understandable, um, your resentment. And so working through that first so that you can get to the deeper, softer stuff. And the way to work through that is to talk about it, you know, either in therapy, to write him letters, to really express that anger and kind of sort through it. When we let it bottle up inside of us, we're not even sure what all is there. So sitting down and writing down all the things you're angry about, just so you can get a clear picture. And then from there, starting to sift through that and which ones make sense to still be angry about and which ones are just old pain. Um, following that, hopefully you can start to get to the deeper, softer stuff underneath that of just missing him and processing a different life that you didn't get to have, you know, one with a brother or one with a brother who was able to make space for you and your family. There's a lot of layers there, but the bottom line is you are so not a terrible person for feeling this way. 
Grief is so complex and our relationships with people in our lives are so complex. And so when someone dies, they don't automatically get sainted. You know, often we're left with a lot of unresolved issues, a lot of unresolved um, relationship stuff. And it doesn't mean we can't resolve it after the person is gone. We absolutely can. We can continue to work on those things, continue to resolve it within ourselves, continue to resolve it within the internal relationship we now have with that person. So I commend you for, you know, even acknowledging all of this and talking about it. And I just want to reiterate that you're so not a terrible person. You are human and you are trying to figure out how to be in this family and in this relationship and feel loved. Okay, let's see. Um, One more. Dear Claire, I'm 36 years old and my mother died seven months ago. I have a wonderful life with my two young children and a loving husband, but I feel like I'm depressed all the time and my husband doesn't understand what's wrong with me. I feel so blessed that my mom got to meet my kids and be a grandmother for a little while, but I also just feel really cheated of my time with her. I feel like I'm supposed to put on a happy face every day, but I've been crying in secret a lot when my kids are at school and my husband is at work. Is this normal? Will I ever be myself again? Oh, honey, yes, you will. But, um... Look, you're seven months into having lost your mom. It's a huge loss. As a mom of young children yourself, and as I am too, you know you know what a huge role it is, the mother, the mother role. I think sometimes we take for granted and just don't even know how significant those relationships are in our lives until they're gone. And for you to be only seven months into not having your mom around anymore is still really fresh and really new. And I often think the seven, like six to eight month period is some of the hardest. The grief has really set in, the loss has really set in, and this is just kind of when the heaviness comes on. You know that she's not coming back. You've kind of come to terms with the loss logically, and that brings its own pain. This is probably also the longest you've ever gone without talking to her, seeing her, and that just brings on this really heavy sadness. So of course you're crying in secret at home. Um, one, I don't think you need to hide it. You know, I think it's really okay to let our children see us grieve. They don't need to see us complete basket cases and freaking out, but it's really okay for them to see us crying, working through these emotions. Um, I think that, um, you know, it's also okay to really open up to your husband. He may never understand it in the way that you want him to. And I think that's one of the things that we have to be careful about in grief is putting expectations on people that they will be able to understand our grief and our loss when they may never understand it in the way we need them to. But I think getting him to accept and acknowledge that you're going through a really hard time and that you're really in your grief is what's important. And then from there, seeking out people who do really understand it on a deep level. So joining a support group or, you know, joining a motherless daughters group or um, finding a therapist, really, really talking to people who completely understand where you are and why you're so sad and why you're crying in secret. Um, It can just be really healing. But I don't think you should hide it as much. And I think you should go really easy on yourself. Um, Things start to get a little easier after the first year. So you've got a few more months of that. But um, most of all, just go easy on yourself and know that you will get back to not normal and not maybe the person you were before your mother died. But you'll get back to a new normal and you will get back to a new self. 
Um, it's not always going to feel like this, I promise, but you're really in the thick of it right now. So seek out some support. I'm glad you wrote. Um, surround yourself with people who really get it. Read some books about people who've lost their mothers. Again, join a support group or find a therapist. I think it will really help. Okay, last letter. Dear Claire, I'm a 42-year-old single man, and I lost my father two months ago. I'm embarrassed to admit this, but I feel like I'm going crazy. I've been having panic attacks at work and in the car and at night when I'm trying to fall asleep. I've never had this happen to me. I've been to doctors three times in the last month, but they all say I'm perfectly healthy. Is this normal? Yes, I just wrote a whole book about this. Um, yes, this is grief-related anxiety, and it's much more common than you might think. Not that many people are talking about it clinically, um, but I'm hoping to change that. And it's something that I see in my practice all the time and something that I've experienced for myself as well, personally. I also went through a lot of grief and panic, um, or anxiety and panic after I lost my mother in my early 20s, and it's really real. I constantly thought I was about to have an aneurysm or a heart attack or that I was going to die of cancer at any minute. Um, I had a lot of like full-on panic attacks where I really couldn't breathe, I got dizzy, I went to the ER. This is really normal, um, and it's really normal after a loss. Your whole world has just shifted, right? You have lost one of the most significant people in your life. Um, it's so much bigger than you probably ever anticipated. We can know that we're gonna lose someone, like a parent or a spouse or a child, but until it actually happens, it you have no idea how big and wide-reaching the impact is. And just that can be anxiety provoking. Just the huge emotional experience you're having, because I guarantee it's probably bigger than anything you've ever gone through in your life. Just that can cause anxiety. It can cause fear that you might go through it again or that you may never get out of it. Um, realizing really truly that people can die when you lose your father, you're slapped in the face with mortality. You know, there's no denying it that we're all going to die. And that is really scary and anxiety provoking. It can leave you just feeling like you're falling backwards off a cliff. So kind of doing some work around that, really acknowledging that. In the short term, you know, doing some mindfulness meditation, I think is really, really helpful for um, easing this anxiety, just getting really still, concentrating on your breath, being really present. When we're grieving, we're constantly thinking, spinning out into the future, or we're dwelling in the past, going over and over memories, things we should have done, things we shouldn't have done, or we're just constantly thinking about like what our lives are going to be like now that this person is gone. And it can leave you just feeling, again, just dizzy with all of it. So getting really focused and mindful and present about right here, right now. Sit in the room that you're in, feel the air temperature, feel how your body feels, Look at around you at right now. You're in a comfortable place. You're safe. You're warm. You're fed. Um, getting really focused on that can help just take away from the crazy thoughts that are, are where our minds are going. Um, anxiety is, is a useful thing. We use it in our lives all the time. We use it to prepare for a test or giving a talk or preparing for a trip. Um, it's helpful to have anxiety. It actually helps us prepare and be on target and and get ready for things. When it gets to the point where you're having panic attacks, it's not so useful. But reminding yourself that our bodies are actually programmed and designed to pick up heart rates, to 
draw blood away from the abdomen so that we can be ready to fight. It's that fight or flight response. Our bodies are designed to do this. You're not actually having a heart attack. You're not going to have an aneurysm. You're not going crazy. Your body is responding to a fear-based thought in your head and it's physically responding and that can be a little frightening. Um, so yeah, doing work around that, getting some cognitive behavioral therapy to look at your anxiety, doing mindfulness, doing relaxation techniques, and then on top of that, really working on processing your grief, um, thinking about your own spirituality, your own thoughts about what happens when we die. Again, when we lose someone, we, we begin to fear our own death or we begin to fear that others may die as well. So doing some work to get clear with yourself on what you think about death and dying is, is helpful and comforting. Um, and then just processing your grief. Whenever we push our grief away, it sounds like you have a busy life and you're back at work. Whenever we push our grief away, it just burbles up and manifests in anger or anxiety or all kinds of other things. So letting your grief out, cry if you need to, write letters to your dad, talk to a therapist. Um, doing all of those things will help you start to ease your anxiety. I know it's not comfortable and it's often quite scary, but it's totally normal and it, it will dissipate if you do some of this work. So anyway, thank you for listening today. Um, those were some big questions, but I, I really love answering them. I hope it was healing to hear um, for listeners today about other people who are going through their own grief processes. I know that for me, it always makes me feel a little more like normal and not like I'm going crazy as well. Grief is as individual as we are, and there's just no perfect way to do it. If you have any questions about your particular grief process, don't hesitate to send me a note. I really, really love this work. I love helping people talk about it and navigate their own process and their own pain. You can find me online at clairebidwellsmith.com. And if you liked today's episode, please subscribe regularly on iTunes. Next week, I'll be away leading a motherless daughter's retreat in Connecticut with my partner, Hope Edelman. If you're interested in attending one of our retreats, please visit our website, motherlessdaughtersretreats.com. Otherwise, I'll be back on Sunday morning in two weeks.